Jack has entered and you can see uh, you are Kubrick shows you but he shows you this lobby and you get to see as Jack moves across the lobby you see the elevator beyond and you see beyond that a hallway you don't see yet how far back it go you know the other things back there but you have an impression that this place is towards the middle of the hotel you, you just have that impression that it's toward the, it's the middle of the hotel and you go from the lobby into the general manager's office and then into Ullman's office and there's this window and the window is a powerful window I mean the light coming through there is glaring it's like a character in itself it's it takes over and you've got these uh, a tenderly sinister kind of trees that are outside the window and you've got it's, it's just such a forceful presence this light that comes over everything and, and you know you, and there's something wrong with it. There's something wrong with it, and I think there, it registers as something wrong. This is an impossible window. It's not, it, it is impossible. It is physically impossible. It cannot be there. It should not be there. There's no place in the hotel for this window to exist. It's only toward, finally towards the end of the film that you have the realization that there are several hallways in succession behind the office. You see it when um, Wendy, when she's later down there and she sees DeColoran's body after he has been killed, uh, you have um, her behind in that hallway behind the office. Uh, so really, no, what can I tell you about the maps? Um, no, I did not sit down with graph paper. I did not even begin to attempt to do them to scale. Let me see, I can't say which room I started off with, I don't remember and just went through and decided I was going to do, try to do as much as I could, feeling that I felt eventually that there were places that I could plot out, such as where the girls were killed. I was not absolutely sure at that point when I started out doing the maps where the girls were killed, but I felt that it was somewhere back around um, the area uh, where they lived. Uh, suite number what? They lived at uh, suite number three. When Jack is sitting typing at his typewriter and Wendy comes in and interrupts him while he's working and in one shot of Jack Get a lot written today? sitting at the typewriter or one shot you look back behind him and of course you can see very clearly because Kubrick was the master of depth of field he kept everything in focus so he would have lots of space in which to put things that he wanted you to notice and in the first shot behind Jack sitting at his typewriter Back against a wall behind him, probably 10 or 12 or 15 feet, is a chair. And then there's a switch to a one shot of Wendy saying something. Hey, the weather forecast said it's going to snow tonight. And then the camera switches back to Jack, and the chair is gone. What do you want me to do about it? And my students and I always have fun with that, saying, well, continuity error? could be, or it's not, and the answer, if it's not, or if it was originally and then Kubrick saw it and decided to keep it, is that he's parodying horror films in order to remind you that this isn't just a horror film. And there's another one in The Shining that's, I think, less well noticed, and I think it's even more clearly substantive. When Danny has his first vision of the elevator gushing blood and the camera is tracking toward him, 
past the open door of his bedroom and toward the hall and the bathroom, open bathroom door across the hall. And his bedroom door, as you would expect, a kid's door, has lots of cartoon characters on it. And the one who is most apparent, because it's right at the edge of the door, and it's the largest one that you can see, and it's the last one you can see as the camera moves past it, is one of the seven dwarfs. And it happens to be Dopey. Okay. Subsequently, after Danny has passed out, uh, Wendy and the pediatrician leave Danny's room. And as they do, they of course go out his door, and you again see the door, the open door, with all the cartoon characters on it. And Dopey isn't there. Now, again, continuity error? I don't think so. I think what Kubrick is saying is that before, Danny had no idea about the world. And now, he knows. He's no longer a dope about things. He has been enlightened. Anything you say, Lloyd. Anything you say. They, the advocate is spilled. There's the accident. Kubrick is setting it up is where they come around in a circle because I feel like that's what the camera does. I feel like the camera brings us around in a circle so that we're coming back where the, the bathroom seems to be overlaying uh, the gold room and, you're, and so that the advocate situation in the bathroom is occurring about in the same area that it did in the gold room. They use the camera to create an emotional architecture in your mind, but at the same time showing you that it's false. The set is complete, so completely plastic that its contradictions pile up in your subconsciousness. Halloran is, is showing, showing Wendy, you know, the place where she will, you know, basically entrap Jack entrap him both physically but also like that will be the last straw for the last straw for the uh, management of the hotel and it's in the storeroom that he finally is like okay now I'll, now I'm gonna do it and you know the opening of that door is the uh, you know the famous like only thing that supernatural happens in the movie that can't be explained yeah, <laughs> but except, except it, it can be explained another way, and that Danny lets him. <laughs> I do have this idea that Danny is a lot more consciously murdering his father than the narrative lets on. weird like you notice how like Wendy's walking backwards when she's having that confrontation with Jack in the lounge you know and she, she's being drawn up to the hexagonal hallway room and you see Danny shining at the beginning of that he's in his room there's like lights flickering in his eyes 
Like, is Danny drawing, you know, drawing his mother up the stairs so that she can, you know, sacrifice Jack on top of that, you know, weird pyramid? <laughs> When I had a chance when I was doing a story out in Denver, we went up to Estes Park. It was in the off-season, went into the Stanley Hotel, and I asked to see the manager. And he came out, and we were just having dinner, having lunch with him, and I said, who did we talk to? I write about the, the Shining. And he said, oh, really? This fellow told me that he got a phone call from Stanley Kubrick, who said, I, I think I want to make a movie about The Shining. And, and then he would keep this fellow um, on the phone for a long time. He said we had many long, long conversations in which he picked my brain about everything. And at that point, he said, Kubrick was talking about maybe coming here to make the movie here, which I expect at that point that fellow liked the idea of, so it would make his hotel famous. And Kubrick said, I'd like to send out a research team. And so he then sent out, the man said it was something like two or three people who came out here and stayed here for two or three months taking photographs everywhere and they spent a lot of time also down in Denver in the Colorado State Archives finding out as, as I would now expect the full history of of Colorado which the flag of which plays a part and the gold rush the Colorado gold rush was also a very big event and there's all there's still a lot of American Indian white people tension in Colorado with Navajos and Arapahos just just to the south this research team found out absolutely everything about Colorado, about Estes Park, about the Stanley Hotel, about its entire history, took photographs all over the place. Three months was the impression I have of what he said about how this, this research team gathered absolutely everything. Kubrick unearthed an enormous amount.